Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Hey, let's uh, let's go in our Bibles to Mark chapter 8. You know, really what I'm trying to do is just hold you here while kids have the last day of EBS, so... Would you give me a few minutes just to let them get done with what they're doing and kind of just listen to a few things I have to say? I'd appreciate your gracious attention this morning. Uh, we want to go to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8 and verse 37. I want to talk about the meaning of Christ, the meaning of Christ. I think it's so important uh, that we understand the meaning of Christ. Uh, this is this uh, story is found in a little bit of variety in the th- in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, Matthew's is a little bit longer, but I think Luke really, or excuse me, Mark really hits the point, and uh, he often is a little brief. You know, if you're recommending a place for somebody to start that hasn't read the gospels before, a lot of people say John, I would just suggest no, John is harder. Mark, Mark, I would suggest Mark is a good one to read first because he gets right to the point, full of action, uh, it's exciting. We hear Jesus is the Christ, and we see him in action. And if you read it in certain translations, almost every sentence starts with the word and. And Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and he went here, and he went there. Uh, we're looking here at Mark chapter 8, verse 27 and following. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. The NIV and the NLT say, instead of Christ, they say Messiah. And uh, the thing you should know is Messiah is the Hebrew form of the word, uh, and Christ is the Greek form of the word, and they mean the same thing. Take a moment with me, and let's, um, let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for what Christ means to us. And we're praying, Lord, that you would help us to see that what Christ means is not just for us, but for the world. And uh, we ask that you help us to make uh, solid application to our lives, what Christ means in Scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this week in VBS, we've been talking about Jesus and, and putting our trust in Him. And so anytime a particular Bible point was shared, we have a different Bible point for each day. Uh, the response from the kids when they hear that Bible point is, I, I believe it's trust Jesus, trust Jesus. And so they would shout that really loud. And, and you know that that truth really grows with us, that it's not just a truth for kids, it's a truth for uh, every adult to the oldest adult, that we need to trust Jesus, okay? So would you help me preach this message this morning and tell your neighbor, trust Jesus, if you want to tell them that. Uh, you're witnessing, really. Uh, trust Jesus. And and uh, trusting in Jesus isn't just for the kids. I'm amazed at how God offers His grace to those who are little, and the gospel is simple enough for young minds to grasp it. I remember when me and Stanley Mason were in the back of my 79 Thunderbird, and my mom shared the gospel with us, and 
Uh, I, I seem to remember kneeling right there and asking Jesus into my heart. How many know you can get saved in a Ford? I don't know about Chevy, but maybe. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just divided the church. <laughs> we, uh, you can get saved in a Chevy too. <laughs> and Nissan, whatever car you have. It's a wonderful place. Uh, Phillips, uh, in his little book, J.B. Phillips, in his little book, uh, Your God is Too Small, talks about how many adults have a vision of God that is only suitable, suitable for Sunday school, that it, their, their vision of God hasn't grown with them. And what I want to challenge us with this morning is that Christ is enough uh, for our little kids, but he's also enough for adult problems. He's enough for the problems of adult life. Are you with me? And so we want to trust in Jesus. And, um, you know, there is a God, uh, there is in Christ a challenge to every adult to know him. Every time you say the word Christ, you're, you're really echoing the recognition of Jesus himself and of the first Christians who recognize his uniqueness. And we just read a little bit about that this morning. I want to talk more about that in just a moment. But, but sometimes people use the name Christ with no thought at all. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, when something bad happens, it can be an expletive. It can be a way of exclaiming without really saying anything and recognizing the true content. But, uh, you know, we, we use it, some people use it to flavor their language with emphasis. They use his name in a way which is empty of all meaning. I hope you know that when you say the name Christ, when you say the word Christ, that that's packed full of world-saving meaning. And that's worth stopping and pausing over. It ought to never be on our lips in an empty way. We ought to recognize that his name is holy. And, his, and when we're saying that, that we're saying, Christ, there's nothing better than you, right? right? So every time you say the word Christ, we echo that recognition. After following Jesus for some time, Jesus and his uh, disciples were on their way to uh, an area that was mostly Gentile, and, and they were on their way, and he asked the question, as he got a little bit of distance between him and where he had typically done ministry, he asked the question, who do people say that I am? Now, I want you to know Jesus is not having an identity crisis. He is perfectly clear on who he is. But he's asking the question, who is it that people are, what, what is it that people are saying about me? He doesn't need affirmation. He doesn't need somebody to pat him on the back and tell him he's doing a good job. I think he has that already with the approval of the Father. But what he wants to know is, how do people perceive what's going on here? Are they recognizing the reality of what's taking place? And uh, they say in response to that, some are saying that you're uh, John the Baptist, and some are saying that you're Elijah. And uh, overwhelmingly, people thought of a prophet of some kind. And it shows that they had trouble really placing Jesus. They, they were pointing to prophets that, had, been, that had, had died at this particular point. John the Baptist even, being, having been beheaded, that they think that now he's the reincarnation of John the Baptist and maybe some other notable prophet. And here's the really interesting thing about this, I think, is that at this particular time in history, prophets were very few and far between. 
that they didn't see a lot of that. Israel still thought of themselves as in exile. They, they still felt as if they really hadn't returned completely from their captivity because after they came back from Babylon, it wasn't long and the Greeks moved in. That a, a brief reprieve under the Maccabeans, but then again, the Romans came in and they felt that they were always under this oppressive foreign yoke and it really hadn't been a restoration of the throne of David. And so they felt as if they were in exile and maybe the lack of prophets reinforced that. They don't have prophets except prophets back in their history. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene and uh, he preaches a message of repentance And so they think of Jesus maybe in that category, or maybe he's one of the other prophets from long ago, reincarnated. But they couldn't really classify Jesus except among the prophets who'd been revived. They didn't didn't really know all that Christ meant. I want us to know today what Christ means. And I think if we, we know all that his name means, at least I can't I can't communicate in this short time all that his name means. You understand that. But if we understand f- more fully, I think we'll appreciate more who he is and what he's done. And maybe our response to him will be a better, more complete response, one of greater trust and faith in what he's done. And maybe there's some particular areas where we find that our view of Christ is diminished. And when that view of Christ is diminished, he doesn't receive from us the trust that he deserves. You understand what I mean by that? that? That when we know what he's really done and who he is, our response to him ought to be one of all-embracing trust. We trust him for who he is. And so I would uh, take us today to the meaning of Christ. The first thing I want to point out here, and this is uh, really important, is to understand that Christ means anointed. It means the anointed one. It means anointing. And anointing really means chosen set apart and empowered. So as you you mention the name of Christ, you're recognizing that Christ has been chosen for a particular uh, task. He's been set apart and empowered to complete that task. Anytime you come across somebody who's been anointed, we get really weird about the word anointing, and we want to add all this spookiness to it. It means, really, that you've been chosen for a particular task, that you've been set apart for that task, and that you're empowered by God to do it. That's what anointing means. And so, uh, do you realize that if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, in 1 John, it tells us that we've all received the anointing. Come on, isn't that true? So, uh, sometimes we like to claim, oh, you're special, because we're all special. We're all special. But uh, I want to, they're not in the same way that Christ is special, you understand, that he is anointed. In the Old Testament, when someone was chosen by God to be a prophet, a priest, or a king, there was a ritual that symbolized that choice of God, that setting apart, that empowerment. And this was uh, the anointing ritual in which they took a flask of oil and poured it on the head. Okay, So this, this oil uh, symbolized, this oil being poured out symbolized that a person was chosen by God. And it symbolized the Spirit being poured upon them and they're being set apart for this particular call, chosen by God. And so the oil being poured out upon them was not the anointing. It was the symbol of the anointing. Do you understand that the true anointing comes from God? Okay, just in the same way that you're not saved by the waters of baptism. Do you know that? 
You're saved before you come to be baptized. And baptism is a symbol of what God has already made a spiritual reality in your life. Anointing is the same way. And so the anointing by God, we don't see a place uh, where Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry anointed in the same way that some of these others are. But he was chosen by God. And at his baptism, of course, we see the endorsement of the Lord, of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, uh, as, the, uh, as Peter is preaching his Pentecost sermon, he says, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Uh, John Calvin said this signifies that he is anointed by his father to be king, priest, and prophet. Three areas in which uh, uh, what Christ that explains what uh, Christ means to us. The first thing that Christ means for us is Christ means Jesus was a prophet. Okay, Christ means his anointing. The fact that we call him Christ, he was anointed to be a prophet. The prophets of Israel, uh, Peter tells us that they they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit in Second Peter chapter one verse twenty one. So. These Old Testament prophets, they were moved uh, by the Holy Spirit to speak God's message, okay? So if you want to think about it this particular way, that a prophet is somebody that represents God to the people, okay? He speaks or she speaks on behalf of God. We have examples in the Old Testament of uh, women like Deborah who are prophets and Huldah who was a prophet, uh, and they were females. And we know that in the latter days, God will pour out a spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Okay, so it's, it's, it's an anointing which causes a person to speak on God's behalf. And so their message was from God, and they were helped by God to know it and to communicate it. Okay, so when Jesus asked his disciples on the road to Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? They overwhelmingly said that people say you're a prophet. Why would they say that? It's because Jesus was communicating for God. He was communicating who God was. In uh, Matthew chapter 16, this is Matthew's version of the, the text we read. It said, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or some say we don't necessarily understand, but we think he's one of the prophets. And these are the superstars and prophets and but prophets of different kinds. I think it's interesting that they mention such a wide variety of prophets. We tend to think of prophets as in one category, but do you know that most of the Old Testament prophets never performed miracles? Did you know that? Did you know that the Bible says of John the Baptist, he never performed a sign? What did he do? The miraculous thing that happened through him was that he heard from God and he spoke divine communication as if it were oracles of God. That was their, their miracle. But there was a subset of prophets, and you may remember these ninth uh, century prophets, Elijah and Elisha, who were known as charismatic prophets, and they did perform miracles. Remember that they performed some crazy kind of miracles, like causing axe heads to float. How many of you have been hunting on a hunting trip, and something fell in the, the drink, and you thought, I want to call upon God and see that miracle happen, you know? Uh, these are the kinds of things that were happening uh, uh, flasks of oil being uh, replenished and 
and people who had children that died, that they were raised from the dead, and miraculous feedings by ravens. Yuck, right? Things uh, of that nature. And, and then there was Jeremiah, who it seemed like his prophetic ministry wasn't even successful because he had no converts. Everybody followed the popular prophets of the day, but they ignored his sent-from-God message. Somebody said one time that he maybe had five converts in his whole life. Was Jeremiah successful? Was Jeremiah successful? Yes, he was. Because we don't base success on outcomes, we base it on obedience. Come on, right? So he was successful, but Jeremiah's message was mostly a message of doom. We wouldn't like that in America because we want everything to be positive all the time. But I'll tell you, his message was a message of doom. He's different from Elijah. Elijah's miraculous. Jeremiah preached doom. John the Baptist preached repentance. And there must have been something in Jesus's ministry which echoed all three of these. We see that Jesus performed miracles. We see that he prophesied at times doom. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. If the works which had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. It'll be terrible for you on the day of judgment. That's negative. Do you know Jesus sometimes spoke in ways that were negative? Okay, and then we also have him preaching repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we see Jesus communicating in these ways, but it's not the only way that he communicated. He also spoke as God himself. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways, as we just described, Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist. But it goes on to say, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Do you realize all the other prophets were bringing a message from God? When Jesus came, he was God in flesh bringing the message. That's different. That's, that's a more full revelation. You could not only see it by what he said, but you could see what God was like from what he did. Because he was God in flesh. How would, how would God respond in a moment walking in our flesh? What would that look like? And We saw it. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, John says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was called the Word, the greatest communication as a prophet that God has ever accomplished is through Jesus Christ. Come on. that true? And so he's shown us what he's like. So Jesus is not just a prophet, but the prophet. Come on. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses prophesied that there would be a prophet like unto me, you must listen to him. People were often amazed at Jesus' authority. He didn't speak like the usual teachers of the law. He spoke as one who had authority of the law behind him. And he could talk like that because he was the word of God. He is the word of God. Jesus has shown us better than anyone else what God is like. Jesus has told us better than any, anyone else what God expects. And he has offered more than anyone else what God has given through Jesus. You understand, he's the best communicator of what God is like that we've ever seen. So we look to Jesus 
as the prophet. As we say the name Christ, we recognize that God has anointed him for something. And one thing that he's anointed him for is to be prophetic, to speak into our lives about what God is like. It's in Jesus that we know better than from anyone else what God's like. He's God with us. When Philip said, show us the Father, Jesus said to him, have I not been with you long enough that you don't recognize if you've seen the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what the Father is like. We see what the Father is doing. Jesus says in John chapter 5 that I do nothing except what I see my Father doing. Every other prophet could speak for God. Only in Jesus is God more fully revealed. He's the Son of God, and he showed us what the Father is like. He knows the will of the Father. He knows what's best. He knows what's coming. If Jesus is the prophet of God, then we should listen to him. And I want to ask you to weigh that proposition carefully. Does Jesus really uh, represent the best word we have from God? If so, are you trusting him in it? Are you trusting him? When you hear Christ, it means the anointed prophet. The second thing that Christ means for us, he's anointed not just to be the prophet, but also the priest. Okay, He's the priest on our behalf. A prophet represents God to humanity. A priest represents humanity to God. Are you with me? Do you see the difference? The priest brings humanity and presents them to God and, and brings them in close proximity to God. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 3, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was a necessity for this one also, Jesus, to have something to offer. Now, in Mark chapter 8, he warned his disciples and others not to tell anyone about him being the Christ. Does anybody read through the Gospels and found that to be peculiar? The moment Jesus does some miracle or delivers some somebody from demonic oppression, he tells them, don't tell anybody I've done this. I thought we were supposed to be getting the word out, right? We, we're puzzled by that a little bit. And I think part of that has to do with timing. And the other thing it has to do with is education, that he needs to reinform people about what Christ means. They have a messianic expectation, but it's been skewed, and a lot of it's been skewed by their experience, that, that they feel that they're under exile, and we need Messiah to come and bring us out from under exile and deliver us from the Roman yoke and set up the kingdom of Israel once again and establish the throne of David. We need that to happen. But what they don't think about is the other aspect of what Messiah will do, and he's going to be a suffering servant. I haven't thought about that. And so I think this is part of it. In Mark 8, he warns his disciples not to tell anybody. They, they just said, Peter just says, you're the Christ. And he says, he warns them, and he, he warns them sternly. The Bible uses a word that means he warns them sternly. Don't tell anybody about this. Why? Because I think it shows us in the next section of that verse what that's all about in uh, Sorry, let me turn there. Mark chapter 8. If you look on down to verse, he warns them in verse, uh, sorry. Thirty, yes, that sounds right. 
He warns them not to tell anyone. Thank you. Thirty In verse 31, uh, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. So it seems as if he's addressing, you guys don't know enough yet to tell them what this is all about. And so he begins to warn them not to say anything, and then he teaches them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So he's telling them all this, but that doesn't fit with their conception of what Christ is supposed to be. They don't understand the priestly aspect of what Christ is supposed to be doing. They understand the kingly aspect, that he's supposed to be a king but not the priestly aspect. And so Jesus is explaining this. And it says in verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, you don't know what Christ is supposed to be. Let me explain this to you. You're not supposed to suffer and die. You're supposed to deliver us. You see what's happening here? He's rebuking Jesus about his concept of what Messiah Christ is should look like. And Jesus turns around and rebukes him back. He's got a re-rebuke for Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You're seeing things from a purely human point of view, not from an eternal point of view. You see, it's not enough for Jesus to set up a throne. He needs to deal with the eternal sin problem. He needs to deal with the problem that's in humanity. He needs to, before he sits on the throne of David, he needs to sit on the throne of the heart. And he can't do that until he performs his priestly function. Why didn't they know? He's telling them, well, you ha- I have to go to the cross. And he was speaking about priestly sacrifice, though no one understood this at the time. They should have. 700 years earlier, Isaiah said it would happen In Isaiah 53, let me read to you verse 3 through 12. I know that's a long section, but you're going to love it. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him to be punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Do you hear the priestly sacrificial system coming into play here? As a sheep before its shearers is silent, he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor deceit found in, was found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his uh, life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Do you know, he's talking about you and me there. We're the offspring. 
he will prolong his days and he will and the Lord will prosper in his hands. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You remember, the Son of Man must die, but on the third day he'll rise again. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. That's resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. He's not just a priest, he's the priest. Hebrews 2.17 said, For this reason he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. See, he's not just offering a sacrifice for sin, he's offering himself. So what it means to call Jesus priest is that he represents us to God. We don't stand in our own goodness and our own righteousness. We stand as those whom Christ has justified. He is our priest. When we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus, the anointed priest who took care of our sins so that we could stand before God. And he stands alongside us as our advocate representing us to God. Sin has separated us from God, but Jesus paid the price for our forgiveness. First Timothy 2, 5 shows us a wonderful mystery. Listen, for there is, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, mankind, the, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. You know what especially qualifies Jesus as a, a mediator is that he's fully God and fully man. So he can represent God to man as a prophet, but he can also represent human humanity to God as a priest. It makes him the perfect mediator. There's no one else. You don't go through a priest in another way in order to get to God. We go directly through one mediator, Jesus Christ, who's our priest. When you hear Christ, it means the anointed priest. Finally, when you hear Christ, it means king. He's the anointed king. A king is one who brings law and order into a kingdom, promotes peace. He protects the peace of the kingdom, but he also protects those who are in the kingdom. And we haven't thought much about this probably. We tend to think of we don't want a king because they'll, they'll throw down all their requirements upon us. But we don't think about how there's a relationship and an expectation. We will serve the king, and in exchange, he will protect us. There's a they, they found in ancient law, they found uh, what's called the suzerainty-vassal relationship. The suzerainty being the king and the vassal being the one who serves the king. And the, the vassal is required to serve the king. But the king also has responsibilities to take care of his vassals, his subjects. That he takes care of them as they commit their allegiance to him. He goes to war for them. He is the king. And I, wanna, I want us to understand that God dwells in that kind of covenant with us, that I will be your God and you will be my people. And Jesus will be our king and we will be his followers. The Heidelberg Catechism says, a king, as king, he governs us by his word and spirit and defends us and sustains us in the redemption that he has won for us. We see Jesus as king, one, because of his royal lineage. He's the the son of David, and I can give you some scriptures related to that, but I think we all understand that great 
effort has been made to help us understand Jesus is the son of David and therefore the rightful king of Israel. We understand that, that in his humanity, he had a royal lineage. Okay? So he was the rightful king of Israel. But also because of his divine nature as son of God, and, and we can see this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, the increase of his government, to the increase of his government, there shall be no end. You're like, pastor, say that for Christmas time. That's a Christmas passage. No, it's an everyday passage that helps us to understand the goal of all of this. The goal of Christ's birth is not just to come and give us a wonderful uh, holiday in the middle of winter. The goal of Christ's birth is to bring everything under the rule of God so that God can be all in all. That's what his birth is about. He is king, but his king is his kingship is also a confirmed authority. We see the coronation in different places in Scripture. Psalm 2 is an example of that. But we also see it in Philippians chapter 2. Though he was equal with God, he didn't, he didn't cling to his rights as God, but he humbled himself and became human. And not only that, but he humbled himself even further and became a servant. And not only that, but he humbled himself to the place of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place. And under the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. Come on, that's, that's coronation. We understand he's always been king, but there's a special recognition that comes because of his obedience in his humanity. We see it in Acts 17, verse 31, and we also see it in Revelation 19, 6, what's written on the sash, King of kings and Lord of lords. We hear it in Revelation eleven fifteen. one of my favorites. It's the death dirge to the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he'll rule. Thank God. I'm a little excited <laughs> and emotional today. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night. But his throne, you understand, is easy to accept when we think of all the rivals out there. The oppression of the powers. And we think of other people. We can find comfort in the, the words of it when uh, it says in Isaiah 9, 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness from that day on and forever. It's easy to accept Jesus as king for other people. It's much harder to accept him as king for us. Come on, do you understand what I mean by that? Now, if you've done that, you probably feel that it's more natural. But I, I know that when it comes to Submitting to his leadership, sometimes we have a hard time with that, especially in our day. We don't, we don't have a lot of monarchies out there that are absolute monarchies. We have constitutional monarchies that are out there. Uh, but that usually uh, involves some kind of a ceremonial monarchy, but the leadership is still mostly by the people. You, under, you understand what I mean? And so in our day of democracies and republics, legitimate ones, sometimes this is hard to understand. Probably some under a dictatorship might understand this, although most dictatorships are not benevolent. What Jesus offers us is something else altogether. He offers us relationship, and he treats us as sons and daughters. We're not just subjects of the king. We're children of the king. That's a different story altogether. And so... um, I would hope you would understand today that in submitting to him, we're really submitting to the very best that God has for us. Do you believe God knows you better than you know yourself? 
Does he? Does he know how you're wired? Or are you the only one who knows? Does he know what you'll like 10 years from now? Do you know what you'll like 10 years from now? I find myself surprised. Like, I never thought I would feel this way at this particular age. I thought whatever I was like when I was 25, I was like, I was plugging that formula in. It's going to be me the rest of my life. It's not like that. As you get older, you realize things change, tastes change. You don't like the same food, right? Somebody says, let's go to McDonald's. I say, is there anything else? And I used to think that was delicious. It's not delicious. It's, it's a concession to know their place being open in my mind. And if I've offended you, forgive me. If you've got stock in McDonald's, keep tithing. So I just would encourage us today, when it comes, when Christ comes in power, we will see he's king of kings and Lord of lords. He's not just a king, he's the king. He's not just a king, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. As a king, he's worthy of all. In Mark 8, verse 34, you can look on down there. Jesus, was he's talking about how his disciples have said he's Christ, and then he's kind of working out the implications of that and saying that if you really think I'm Christ, if you really think I'm anointed as a king, then it's, it should follow that you would follow me. Okay, Remember how Jesus said one time, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. You know, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? I mean, we do that sometimes, don't we? Like, Lord, and you are my king, and we say things like that. But then when it comes to the rubber meeting the road, we don't really follow him as king. But in Mark uh, 8, 34 through 38, Jesus says that if anyone would be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. This is a call to devote our whole lives to following him. If he's king, he's worthy of it. If he's not, then I would suggest to you consider something else. What is worthy of your life? What is worthy of your life, if not Jesus? You see, I, I felt that call when I was 17. I had prayed the prayer when I was a little kid and gone back and forth in my walk with God. But when I was 17, I was faced with a hard truth, it suddenly became clear. I could either live for myself or live for Christ, but I couldn't do both. See, when you're a little kid, you hear the stories and you know the general call, but maybe you don't always know what that means. But I think God did something in my life back early on that followed me. But at a moment, and when I was 17, I had to make a commitment to him. So I made a decision that Christ would be king. And if I'm honest with you, it's a choice that we have to make every day about who gets the throne. And at times, I have uh, let myself be king again. Have you? Have you let yourself sit on the throne once in a while? Like, today, I'm king. I know that's wrong, or I know it's not right. I know what the right thing to do, but today is about me. You know, anybody... Know what I'm talking about? Don't make me feel like I'm alone here. Okay. It's it's true, isn't it, that we we have to make those decisions every day. At times, I've let myself be king again. And if you've, you've done that too, we have to repent and we have to yield again the throne to the proper king. Because when we say Jesus...
Christ. We're saying Jesus, the anointed, anointed to be prophet, anointed to be priest, anointed to be king. Okay? And to take that out of the equation is to empty the name of Christ from what it means. If he's the Messiah, he's all three of those and more. He's prophet, priest, and king, and he demands and expects our loyalty, and he's worthy of it. It would be a crazy thing for him to ask us to give him that kind of allegiance if he were not who who he is. And I would suggest to you something else, that only that which is surrendered survives. Listen closely to this. Only that which is surrendered survives. He will be made king. He will have dominion until he makes his enemies his footstool. The Bible says that says that over and over again in the Gospels and beyond the Gospels so that in the end, God can be all in all. If you're holding on to your throne, your throne will perish. Do you understand? If you have your own authority, that authority will perish because one day the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Every throne will be brought under his dominion. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Some will do so gladly and others reluctantly. And some will do so in shame and tears. But he will be king and he will be recognized for what he is. The beauty of it is that right now some of us do it in faith. We're trusting Because all of the things that are going on in the world seem to point to something else being in control. But he will emerge as the true king of all in all. And some of us are waiting. We're waiting in a world that has usurped his authority and taken it and abused it. And we're waiting for the true king to come. When you hear Christ, it means the anointed king. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're done here. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 27. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, talking about the resurrection. And when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. And, he, uh, and when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Listen, when I said that anything that's not surrender will not survive, only that which surrender survive, listen to what Jesus says in verse 34 here. It says, he called the crowd to him with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, surrenders, for my sake will save it. Only that which is surrendered will survive. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You don't have to know how it all works to benefit from it. And so when we we hear the name Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him and trust in him, you don't have to know all of these things to benefit from what Christ has done as prophet, priest, and king. We just need to know we need to trust him. But there's so much that can be gained by knowing that he is our prophet. Because when we listen to all the voices in the world, we have to push those aside and hear his voice as a loud clarion call and be obedient to it. 
when we know who it is that brings us before God, we have to part from our works and say that we can't accomplish anything that's, that's anything better than filthy rags before him. We're completely dependent upon Jesus to bring us to God. There's no stairway to heaven. There's no ladder to glory. Jesus is the only way. You can't get there any other way. So we need to trust him as our priest. He's the one that represents us to God. He ever lives to make intercession for us, and he is our king. Who is it that our lives follow? Is it something else? Is it the trends of the day? Do we, do we make decisions for ourself, ourselves, what's right and wrong? Do you know the thing that caused the fall in the garden? When the devil came and said, if you eat of this fruit, you'll know the difference between good and evil. What Satan was tempting them with was the ability for them to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. Okay, you understand that? And that was the temptation throughout Scripture. Remember in Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the constant call of Scripture is do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. We have to obey Him. You see, this matters now that we're several centuries removed. People are trusting in Christ. We're far away geographically. People are trusting in Christ, and it makes a difference. And I would have you today picture your living room. Can you picture it? Jesus needs to be prophet, priest, and king there, too, not just here. Picture someplace out in public. Jesus needs to be prophet, priest, and king for you there, too, and not just for you, but for the whole world. When we say Jesus Christ... He is the anointed for everyone. Amen. I know it's made a world of difference in my life, and it will be, he, he will for you too. But know what Christ means can make your faith in him uh, more rich. It can turn us away from false confidences. Jesus said to the disciples, not enough for you to hear what other people have said. What do you, who do you say that I am? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And I would ask you that, not just, you've heard these words today, this is what the scriptures say about Jesus. You've heard what I've said, this is what I'm saying about Jesus. You've probably heard others. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he Christ? Is he Christ for you? He is Christ. Is he Christ for you? Why don't we stand together? Take a moment here to consider, I think probably for some here, Your um, response to Jesus has already been settled. There's some days here and there that you maybe sit on the throne and make some decisions, but in little choices, in big choices, in daily choices, in the tenor of your life, the direction you're going, you've made Jesus king. And so there might be some areas where today you want to come before him and let him tweak some of these areas and help you to trust him more. But maybe there are some here today in a general way. You've never, you've never given your life to Christ. You've never given him serious consideration. I want to invite you to do that today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust in him and, and follow him. Take a step of faith today based upon his word. Maybe you feel the compulsion of the Holy Spirit to come and respond. You can simply say to the Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if what uh, pastor is saying is true, then, Lord, I believe you'll meet me in this. 
Turn your life over to Christ. He died and he rose again so that you could walk in relationship with him. You could live in relationship with him. I would ask you today uh, to give your attention to what Christ has said, to trust him, to give your confidence to what he's done as priest, to trust him, give your allegiance to him and obey him, and that you would trust Christ in this way. I think maybe um, as we've been talking here, God's been stirring hearts, and if you'd like to spend a few moments at the altar, you can make an altar here at the steps of the platform or at your seat. But let's take a few moments today and respond to, to Jesus, to Jesus the anointed, Jesus the Christ. Respond to him today, would you? And, and uh, let him be all in all. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.